You're listening to an Economy Matters podcast produced by the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. The Federal Open Market Committee concluded a two-day meeting earlier today. The pace of job today. growth has been strong. Downside risks to the outlook for the, the number economy. of Fed officials. The shadow banking system is large. We've come a long way since the darkest day of the financial crisis. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Economy Matters podcast. I'm Tom Heinches, Managing Editor of the Atlanta Fed's Economy Matters magazine. And today I'm sitting down with Salome Baslanzi, an economist here at the Atlanta Fed. She's written a paper titled Entrepreneurship Through Employee Mobility, Innovation, and Growth. And in it, she examines the role of companies formed by employees of high-tech firms who strike out on their own to form newer firms. And she also discusses the impact of non-compete laws on the broader economy, which is always a timely topic. Uh, thanks for being on the podcast today, Salome. I've, I've looked forward to sitting down with you and discussing your work for a while now. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Tom, for inviting me to the podcast. I'm excited to talk about my research. So generally, spin-out firms, also they're often referred to as uh, spin-offs, are entrepreneurial ventures created by employees of other firms. And in my research, I study innovating spin-outs, those spin-outs that file for patents and whose patent applications in the first year when they entered were uh, filed by inventors from some other firms. And in the data, these spin-outs are actually important. They account for about 30% of entry in the industry. And you are right that in addition to the fact that, well, they're just a sizable share of entry, they are also very different from other entrants without prior experience. I wanted to ask you, but you tell us what a spin-out is, but what makes them different from other startups or, or new businesses in general? They are uh, different in the data. They appear uh, as being more successful. So they survive longer and they file for two to three times more patents during their uh, lifetime. They spend 30% more on research and development and have 33% higher sales growth in the data. Wow, so, so quite different. So, Salome, how far back do, do spin-outs go? I, I imagine, you know, there was an employee of Thomas Edison or Henry Ford who struck out on his own, right? How far back do these go? Well, good question. I guess spin-outs go as far back in history as entrepreneurship, actually. But it's good that you mentioned Thomas Edison because in addition to us knowing him as the very prolific inventor, he's actually the one who invented the innovation process in teams. So he's the first one creating, uh, who created the research and development lab where he had inventors. And he would just sketch an idea and give the sketch to the inventors and say, okay, work on them. Basically then, if you think about innovating spin-offs that probably they originated first from Thomas Edison's labs. And actually Henry Ford, who you mentioned, uh, was a spin-out from Edison's lab. He was working in one of his companies and then he on the side came up with this idea and was working on how to create automobile. Uh, yeah. Wow, I had no idea how good that question was. <laughs> um, in your paper- I did you... some research, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Uh, in your paper, you show a family tree of the spin-out firms that came out of, of Bell Labs and, and Hughes Aircraft. Uh, and it was pretty amazing, and that family tree was from the 1960s. Do we still see that sort of propagation today? Mm-hmm. 
yeah, good question. So uh, given that you mentioned this family tree, I actually want to expand on it a little bit because I think this is a fascinating example. So William Shockley was um, a Nobel uh, Prize winner and inventor of transistors. And he created, uh, he was working in Bell Labs, an engineering team, he was a head, and then he created his uh, own spin-out because he wanted so, uh, to have a mass production of transistors. So obviously he got lots of good scientists. So what happened is that in a couple of years after this spin-out was established uh, as a Fairchild semiconductor industry, the eight so-called traitorous eight scientists actually left the semiconductor leader and they invented their own spin-outs and they gave rise to dozens of dozens of actually firms which gave rise to the Silicon Valley as we know right now. So this is a very good example of how uh, in the past the spin-out industry was working. And now you are asking me about current days, and indeed, in our example, uh, everyday example right now is Zoom. Actually, Zoom is a spin-out itself, and it was created by uh, an employee in the engineering team of uh, Cisco WebEx uh, Technologies. So here we go. That's great, because Zoom seemed to kind of nowhere, and now it's ubiquitous. Exactly, exactly. During pandemic, it really hit the telecommunication market and became one of the leaders. Yeah. Uh, Suddenly, as, you, as your research shows, it's not just the founders of a company who play an important role in Spinout's performance, but it's also the earliest employees of that company. Can, can you discuss the importance of the employees who... Um, let's say, get in on the ground floor? Yes, yes. So uh, you're right. So in my study, I identify not only the uh, founders, entrepreneurs of the firms, but also the those inventors who were there on the first patent filed by the firms. Well, the founding team is important. And recent studies actually uh, show the importance of these um, teams. And the study by Choi Goldschlag, Haltiwanger, and Kim using the census data, it actually shows that the unexpected uh, loss of founding team members due to premature death actually uh, has long-lasting implications for the firms. So firms contract uh, in scale, so their employment is reduced by 16%, revenue even more by 32%, and their productivity is uh, lower. Before we uh, get farther into this, I want to ask you, what initially led you to research this topic? What put it on your radar as, a, as something to really delve into? So let me um, start from the following observation. Uh, we know in the data that firms, they are very heterogeneous in their qualities. When firms enter the market, most of them fail in several years after the entry. So what makes firms special? This is the question really that everybody wants to understand in order to understand how to drive entrepreneurship and innovation. And what has been noticed by, by some studies is that actually it is important to understand ex-ante heterogeneity at birth. So some firms are just born different. So then the question is, what drives it? So what are potential determinants of that? And I thought to understand this, we need to really maybe look at the background of founders, founding teams, and explore this heterogeneity in spin-outs. Great, great. Well, thank you for that background context. 
In your paper, you ask a great question, which I will now ask you. If spin-outs are important for growth, uh, could policies be designed that would foster spin-out entrepreneurship without distorting the innovation incentives of the incumbent companies? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, thank you for this question. So, so far I have talked only about the positive side, uh, that uh, spin-out entrepreneurs are just amazing performers, okay? But there is also a negative side to the story, the one that you mentioned, that many incumbents invest a lot of money in research and development. They also invest in human capital of their employees. And uh, if they expect Uh, losing this capital right after the investment, that that will reduce the innovation incentives because they will not uh, appropriate the returns to the investment. As a result, it is uh, important to uh, understand the policies, how they affect both the entry incentives, but also incumbents innovation incentives. And in fact, there are these labor regulations called non-compete policies that affect these both margins. And this is what I study in this paper. Right. Well, I want you to hold that thought because yes. we're going to touch on non-competes in, in a moment. But I'm going to ask you if you think there's a relationship between the size of a firm and the likelihood of it spawning spin-outs. Uh-huh. Um, Yes, there is a relationship, and this relationship has been documented in the um, various studies. And as one of those studies is by Elfenstein, Hamilton, and Zenger, which follows a large sample of science and engineer graduates uh, in the U.S. And what they find is that uh, when those scientists work in smaller firms, let's say lower than 25 employees, they are six times more likely to spawn and create spin-outs than by when they work in very large firms. But in my study, what I want to emphasize is that conditional on size, what matters is whether firm, uh, the incumbent firm, is a technological leader and the top leading firm in innovation. What I find is that when parent firms come up with top inventions and top patents and they file these patents, their inventors are also, they also tend to come up with better ideas and create their spin-outs. And when they create spin-outs, if the uh, parent is really a top leader in the industry, they also perform much better. So there's sort of this knowledge inheritance going on. Uh, it matters which company you're working for. If the company is better and a technological leader, then you are more likely to be a leader as well. Great, great. Uh, well, we'll be right back with our discussion, but please take a moment to listen to this message from the Atlanta Fed. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Economy Matters podcast as Salome discusses her fascinating research on entrepreneurship. Inflation is a complicated topic, one that's on the minds of just about everyone these days. To learn how Atlanta Fed President Rafael Bostic is viewing inflation and the best way to get it under control, read his latest essay on our website at atlantafed.org backslash Raphael Bostic. That's atlantafed.org backslash R-A-P-H-A-E-L-B-O-S-T-I-C. And now back to Salome. 
Okay, we're back in the studio with Atlanta Fed economist Salome Beslanzi discussing her research into entrepreneurship and innovation. Uh, Salome, let's touch on your discussion of non-compete laws, which you mentioned briefly before. I understand why firms favor non-compete laws and, you know, they don't want competition from former employees who might strike out on their own. Uh, What are your own thoughts on non-compete laws? So my thoughts are based on the existing body of research and my own analysis that people and ideas should be free to move, but the intellectual property owned by the firm should be protected. And in fact, there are many forms of intellectual property protection. For example, patents, they protect the inventions owned by firms and others cannot really use this invention without the consent and licensing from the firm. Uh, on the other hand, there are trademarks that protect the reputation and uh, brand power of the firms. And also there are trade secrets that protect certain um, technical or commercial information, including the customer list. So these kind of things, which are property of the firms, have to be protected. But if these protections work well, I personally think, based on what I see from research, is that protection in the labor market probably is less efficient. And indeed, like currently 28 to 47% of uh, employees in the U.S. are estimated to have signed the contracts which have the non-compete covenants. And uh, even if those covenants are not strictly enforced in some states or by some firms, these restrictions may have chilling effects on mobility and entrepreneurship. Right. Well, let me ask you this. In the course of conducting all this research, and I know it takes a lot of time, did your thinking on uh, competes change in any way? Always um, different policies, they always have two sides. And this this is example uh, also here. I think uh, what this study shows is uh, more of a quantitative assessment of whether pluses dominate or minuses. And what I find is that actually minuses dominate. So if you uh, restrict as you we currently have in the U.S., we actually see lower growth, lower productivity growth. So it's better to remove these restrictions. I'm not sure you answered my question. <laughs> Did yeah. your own thoughts change on the role of non-competes? Uh, so I, I need gonna, to say I'm that I was not going to let you dodge yeah. me on this one. <laughs> no, that's a, uh, okay, good. So uh, I think I did not have a, a priori, like for sure thoughts that it should be this way or the other. I understood, I, I, I thought they could go uh, anyway. So yes, yeah, so my thoughts have changed given that uh, I did not have strict opinions. Right, right. Well, earlier in our conversation, we talked about the quote unquote family tree of, of parent firms and spin off companies. Uh, can I assume that non competes would sort of stunt the growth of such a tree today? Uh, was the notion of non compete laws different back mm-hmm. in the day? Yeah. Actually, the non-competes, they uh, started very, even in Middle Ages in Europe, non-compete restrictions were uh, enforced. There were some cases actually, uh, like filed. Now in the U.S., they entered in the 17th century. 
And over time, there has been a lot of uh, there have been a lot of changes in these laws. Now, you mentioned the um, family tree that we discussed, and that family tree was born actually. Uh, it grew in California, and California always uh, and also now has been the state which does not enforce non-competes. And in fact, there is this um, amazing book uh, by Annalise Saxinian, who uh, actually attributes the success of Silicon Valley to this uh, free movement of ideas, of people, of creation, of knowledge and diffusion of it in new uh, ventures. So yes, maybe if the laws were different then, uh, maybe we would not see the Silicon Valley the way we see it now. Right, right. Fascinating. Um, is there an overall trend? You mentioned California. Is there an overall trend among states in non-compete laws? Do they vary widely by geography or other factors? Yes, yes. They vary a lot across states as well as over time. As I mentioned, California bans these restrictions, but also North Dakota. Uh, but states like, for example, where we are now in Georgia, as well as Florida, are on the other spectrum, and they actually enforce lots of restrictions. You asked about what factors are different. So the enforcement may be different, uh, for example, in terms of the length of enforcement. So how many months or years you need to stay away from the labor market or entry or geographical scope. So how far away you need to establish your competing firm and uh, other considerations, for example, if you enter the same industry as opposed to another. So overall, there are lots of changes and uh, there uh, over time as well. And Perhaps over time there has been a push towards uh, easing restrictions more, uh, but it needs to be noted that uh, despite that, the use of these covenants is rising. And this is partly because lots of firms, including uh, especially the smaller firms, they use kind of default template contracts for their employees that have by default this covenants to non-compete. And when employees sign, in many cases, they actually don't realize right. what the implications of these right. covenants are. Yeah. Well, Sally, on a broad macroeconomic level, what are the effects of non-compete laws? I imagine they're you know, hard to quantify, but do you have a sense of how they affect the, uh, the overall labor market, job formation, and, and so forth? So uh, my attempt in this paper was exactly to try to answer these macro uh, questions. And some of those uh, macro effects are easier to estimate in the data, but others require some economic model to think about them in, in some thought experiments. And uh, um, one uh, clear aspect that we already talked about is the entry, which is one of the um, macro effects. Entry of the firm. So what I see in the data is that uh, entry of uh, firms in states where non-compete restrictions are stricter is obviously lower, and the entry by spin-out, good spin-out firms, is 12 percentage point lower than in other states oh. with no restrictions. At the same time, obviously, we see that the incumbents' innovation is higher in those states where non-compete restrictions are stricter. Uh, now, there are also some other subtle effects that I identify in, uh, in the paper. 
and I refer to them as um, knowledge diffusion channel and the type composition. So what do they mean? The when in states where non-competes are not enforced strictly, there is a large entry of spin-out firms. We know that those spin-out firms are better, right? So they grow into better, more productive firms. Well, what does it mean for next generations? It means that those firms will spawn better spin-outs, and those in return will spawn better spin-outs. So there will be this proliferation and diffusion of uh, ideas uh, which will uh, finally result in higher growth in entrepreneurship. And indeed, if you combine all of these effects, you see that uh, net effect from, strict, uh, from removing the restrictions completely is actually positive. If you compare uh, the state with no restrictions to the state with strictest restrictions, you see that uh, productivity growth is lower by 12%. Wow. Okay, well, you know, I, I, re I read recently about a move in Washington to do away with the non-compete laws, and it made me think of your research. Um, I, I don't want to get into a discussion of, of partisan politics, of course, but what are your thoughts on this sort of initiative yeah, uh, you're right. There have been numerous attempts, initiatives in D.C. that were trying to reform this um, uh, non-compete laws in recent years. There has not been much progress, actually. And partly this stalemate was the result of lots of debates about ills and uh, goods of this non-compete laws. But actually, recently, just a couple of weeks ago, FTC proposed a rule to ban non-compete clauses, uh, which hurt workers and harm, harm competition. And FTC, actually, in their report, they estimate that this rule could increase earnings by nearly $300 billion per year and expand career opportunities for nearly 30 million Americans in the U.S. So these are big numbers. And I, I need to say that if after this podcast you have your own opinions about non-competes, so FTC still accepts the public opinions till March, so feel free to share them. Very good. Thank you. Asalo, does, you, does your research imply any uh, policy recommendations or, or suggestions for enhancing innovation entrepreneurship? Yes. My analysis shows that currently in the U.S., the optimal labor market regulation is no regulation. Banning non-compete restrictions are growth and welfare enhancing for all the states in the U.S. Well, another uh, policy that I also look at is entry subsidies. Entry subsidies are a, a popular policy in how, uh, in how to drive entrepreneurship and uh, growth in the U.S. And the very simple implication of my paper is that, well, the targeted entry subsidies are much more effective than just regular entry subsidies. And it just takes to look at the CV of uh, founding members and entrepreneurs who you give the subsidies to and uh, to uh, distinguish those entrepreneurs that are spin-outs and subsidize them more. Great. Okay, we'll, uh, we'll let that be the final word on the subject. Uh, Salome, I want to thank you so much for being here and, and sharing your thoughts and insights on your work. 
This was a really interesting conversation, and I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Tom. This was amazing. And that brings us to the end of another episode of the Economy Matters podcast. Again, I'm Tom Heinges, Managing Editor of the Atlanta Fed's Economy Matters magazine. And as always, I appreciate your spending some time with us today. On the Atlanta Fed's website at atlantafed.org, we'll have a link to Celery's research that we've been discussing, and I encourage you to check it out. It's really interesting and timely. Thanks again for listening, and let's meet again next month. This has been a production of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. For more podcasts on this topic and others, please visit the Atlanta Fed's website at frbatlanta.org.